Welcome back to the JT The Brick Show, brought to you by Resorts World Las Vegas, the newest property on the Strip. It's the JT The Brick Show. They get the snap off, hand off Jacobs, has the first down of the big hole, 15, 10, 5, touchdown Raiders! Broadcasting live from the Finley Cadillac Performance Studio. Raiders bring a blitz, he is smothered, and brought down, Came around for the sack. Your silver and black home to sound off for over 20 years. Snap to car in the shotgun. Back to pass. Climbs the pocket. Eyes downfield. Fires a strike to Devontae at the 25. Breaks away 20. 15, 10, 5. Dives. Touchdown, Raiders. And now, here's JT the Brick. Thanks for coming back, everybody, and welcome in to the aftermath of both the AFC and the NFC Championship game. We do that on Monday. we got a couple of more Mondays to do it before the season comes to an end, but I think the Raiders are going to provide us a tremendous amount of content here in the offseason on what direction they go in at the quarterback position. Josh Jacobs hopefully being re-signed, some of the other players that could be traded or moved on from. So I think we're going to have a very busy offseason. We don't know what the date's going to be. We don't know what's going to happen exactly at the moment. But there's Derek Carr news. There's Tom Brady news. Every day there's going to be something for us to talk about here. And I hope you stay engaged with us through the off season here, because a lot of Raider fans mentally check out when the team's done. We don't, we got a job to do. We check in and we don't take it off. We got to go big now and we got to see how Kansas city or Philadelphia is going to win the super bowl here. These are two number one seeds that got in. So Kansas city's one seed, a little bit more controversial because Kansas city lost to Buffalo this year. Remember Buffalo beat Kansas city at Arrowhead. I expected that Kansas City was going to have to go to Buffalo in the AFC Championship game. DeMar Hamlin got injured. He was out on the field for nine minutes. They had to revive him. They didn't complete that game against Cincinnati. And Kansas City was either going to play that championship game at home or least case they were going to have to play in Atlanta in a neutral site. That wasn't the case. They played the game in Arrowhead. I think that was the difference. I think they got home calls by the refs. I think that flags were not thrown against Kansas City at several times in the game, and I backed him up. And Cincinnati uh, made a bonehead play at the end on a late hit to Patrick Mahomes that cost him the game. So the Bengals are going to have to live with this, and the Bengals have a window now. They're going to have to pay Joe Burrow. When we start looking at these crazy contracts that Deshaun Watson got, $240 million guaranteed, what are you going to give Joe Burrow? And if you pay Joe Burrow all that money, and Jamar Chase, you would think, how are you going to be able to get new offensive linemen? How are you going to be able to get new linebackers or safeties? So this window, everybody thinks it's open for Josh Burrow because he's a great player for years to come. Ask Peyton Manning that. All those years that Tom Brady went to the Super Bowl and Peyton Manning didn't go with Indianapolis. You know why he didn't go? Tom Brady beat him. Tom Brady was going. That's what Mahomes and Burrow look like. It's fascinating for me to watch. The other big story today is the NFL salary cap has gone up. And this is a big deal. The cap is going to $224.8 million. And the NFL has told all 32 teams that the cap will be at a record number. ESPN has confirmed that. This marks an increase of $16.6 million for the 2022 salary cap, which was at $208.2 million. A lot of that has to do with the extra money they got coming in. Look at the money that they're getting from Amazon. And now Yahoo with the Sunday ticket package and all that. So the NFL is flourishing. And even though the Raiders are now a six-win team coming off 10 wins last year, if you look at the big picture, 
which I do. I have some inside information. I always share it with you on the revenue of what the stadium is doing since Mark Davis came here. The Raiders are generating a lot of money to get players. Not for Mark Davis to get cars and steak dinners. Mark Davis puts all of his money, all of it, into the football team. He's got a couple of things he likes to do for fun. But we're very lucky that Mark Davis isn't buying private jet after private jet and, and doing this or that. He puts his money on the team. And now the salary cap is going up here in a state that doesn't have any state income taxes. And more and more players want to play in Vegas, I think, because of the new facility, everything that they have here. So for the Raiders, with the cap going up, it goes up for everybody. It's going to help teams that have an expensive quarterback or not. But the Raiders have to make solid decisions coming up here in the next couple of weeks about what they're going to do with the salary cap space that they got, even though that it's gone up. Harry Ruiz joins us, the Latino voice of the silver and black. And Harry, I wonder, I wonder how you feel about Kansas City's win and the referees. Let me know big picture what you thought about watching the AFC championship game. Yeah, JT, thanks for having me today. I mean, it's easy to complain about the refs. As Raider Nation, we do it often. But when you look at that final play on offense that Kansas City had where Cincinnati had that push on Mahomes out, out of bounds, it's like, hey, you can't deny that that was late, that he shouldn't have done that. He should have just fallen to the side and not touch Mahomes and leave uh, the kicker to try a 55-yard mm-hmm. field goal. But it is what it is, and now Kansas City – uh, I know I had callers in the offseason here on your show, JT, that were pissed off at me when I was saying, I was like, hey, Kansas City, they're where the Raiders want to be at. And until somebody proves me wrong that Kansas City is a team to beat in the AFC, I'm going to keep saying it. The Raiders want to get to the level where Kansas City is right now, where New England was in for nearly a decade. And they were like, what does Kansas City have that we don't have? I'm like, hey, they got consistency. They got the same guys mostly in every position, and they've been successful. And once you do that, it's easier to maintain the success. And look at them now, three Super Bowls in the last four years. So uh, Kansas City, they find out ways to do it. Sometimes they get help. Sometimes they don't. And at the end of the day, it ends up being Kansas City in the Super Bowl once again. Fortunately, it's not against the Niners. Yeah, and for Kansas City to get there, I had them winning the division this year. I thought the Chargers were probably the second-best team, and the Raiders were going to be a 10-win team. The Raiders should have won nine minimum with the five games that they blew second-half leads. But, you know, it, it, you are what your record is, and Kansas City's record was much more dominant than the Raiders and especially the Chargers here. So both those teams have something that they got to figure out. It's just another offseason, Harry. Now we have to talk about the Chiefs getting to the Super Bowl or winning a Super Bowl. I don't think it makes the task harder for the Raiders, but it still is background noise in the Raider Nation that Raider fans don't want to hear about. Absolutely, and it's whenever Kansas City comes into town, their fans are going to, be, are going to have bragging rights saying, hey, we made it to the Super Bowl again, or we won the Super Bowl. I hope they don't get to say that. And uh, it's uh, what the Raiders, they got to look at that and be like, all right, what do we have to do to get to that level? We need to have a quarterback that can take us there. We need to have a defense that makes plays in the most important moments. That sack on third down where they were able to call a timeout with 47 seconds left, that was as important as the punt return that got the Chiefs uh, close to enemy territory. And then Mahomes being able to move the ball with eight seconds left into field goal, at least for a field goal attempt, and then that boneheaded play by the Bengals player got them in a field goal range. That's just That shows you the importance of every 
single phase of the game. You got a defensive play with the sack, you got a great punt return in special teams, and you got your quarterback making plays on offense. The Raiders, they need to make sure that they take care of those holes that they have on the roster from 1 to 53. Every man on that roster is important. And now Dave Ziegler, he's been uh, scouting on the East-West Shrine Bowl practices mm-hmm. this past week. He's going out to Mobile, Alabama for the Senior Bowl. They need to get that job done all the way from the draft, free agency, get all those holes taken care of in the roster. Harry Ruiz, the Latino voice of the Silver and Black, kind enough to join us. So let's jump in also. When you hear about officiating, and officiating, I thought, leaned towards Kansas City on a couple of big make-or-break moments in the game, it was more about non-calls, not the call that Kansas City deserved or not on the late hit. I think that was fair, as we both mentioned it. But a couple of plays that there wasn't holding, where I thought on the final punt return, there was a block in the back. On Mahomes' run to the outside to get out of bounds before he got hit, there were two Chiefs offensive linemen clearly holding we saw a lot of that this year with Max Crosby, but you didn't hear Max complain. You didn't hear Raider fans, I think, complain as much as I'm complaining now. Some of these non-calls with the refs miss on some of these critical plays of the difference between a win and a loss, Harry. Absolutely. And I mean, JT, I follow a lot of Raider fans on social media, and they were complaining a lot about those uh, non-hold calls on uh, Max Crosby all throughout the season. But Max, he just took it as part of the game, and guess what? Each season... He keeps getting better and better. He keeps getting uh, his status elevated more and more. When the NFL 100 list comes out next year, he's going to be at least top 40, in my opinion. So that game gets some respect, not only from the other players and the other teams, but also the officials. They treat elite players differently than they treat good players. So hopefully that changes. And, yeah, I 100% agree with you, JT. Obviously, I was hoping Cincinnati would win. So on the punt return, I saw that block in the back that wasn't called. And then on that final offensive run by Patrick Mahomes on the last offensive play from Kansas City, I saw the right guard hold the defensive tackle. I saw the left tackle hold the defensive end. And I'm like, where are those calls? And, of course, the obvious one goes to Kansas City. But it's just uh, officiating, I think, not only uh, through the NFL, but all around sports. You saw the basketball game the other day with LeBron James getting fouled in the final play. You go over to baseball. I watch a lot of Dodger baseball, and sometimes you see some strikes and balls called in a way that you're like, how the heck do you call that? Fortunately, it seems like we're getting robot umpires in the Major League Baseball soon, but it just seems like officiating keeps getting worse and worse, Mm -hmm. and that's something that needs to get fixed because there's a lot on the line in sporting events, and I'm not just talking about salaries with the players and bonuses and uh, who gets to go where, but also you look at all the money that's being bet, not only here in Vegas, but now all throughout the United States, officiating, they're responsible for Mm -hmm. uh, getting the calls right, and they've been getting a lot of them wrong too. Harry Ruiz, as we wrap this up. So Harry, finally... I want to switch over to Derek Carr. Vic Tafer is putting out content in The Athletic. Others are wondering what's going on with a trade, potentially. Who are the trade partners? I, I think there's a lot of good fits for Derek. I think New Orleans and Carolina are a 1-1A. One one Indianapolis would be a great fit for Derek. The problem is that's not a team that is going to, I think, leapfrog Cincinnati or leapfrog Kansas City or even the Chargers or possibly the Raiders. I think the easier road is through the NFC, hosting the shows you have and being guests. What are you leaning to? If I had to put feet to the fire here, where do you think Derek Carr is going to end up? Just a lucky guess. Personally, I like what the New York Jets are are doing over there in the Big Apple. 
I think that Derek would be a great fit for them. I love the Indianapolis Colts too, but then you look at what they've done over the last four years, switching from one veteran quarterback to another to another. I think with them, it's time to just go the youth route and try to figure it out that way, especially having such a high draft pick. Me, I think New York is where it's at, but at the end of the day, uh, at the NFC, you saw how easy the path was for uh, Philadelphia one way or another get to get to the Super Bowl. If Derek Carr has the decision to make, I think that would be where it would be at. But at the end of the day, he's a competitor. He doesn't care about who he's going against. He just wants to go out there and win, and he trusts his abilities to be able to get the job done. So is it easier in the NFC? Yes, but I don't think that that rules out the AFC about being a potential landing spot. And I read Vic Tafer's article. I read uh, Sports Illustrated as well. And it makes sense. Derek Carr should be able to talk with the head coach and the offensive coordinator. The problem is not every team has a head coach right now. Not every team has an offensive coordinator right now. So it's the waiting game. And unfortunately, the Raiders have that deadline, February 15th. It's the last day uh, to get a trade done to before the money becomes guaranteed. So we shall wait and see. And the good thing is that wait and waiting and seeing, we're just two weeks away. Harry, last one quickly. What are you doing for Pro Bowl? I know you're going to be out there gaining content. And last year, I remember you at Las Vegas Ballpark. What's going on with the Raider facility, the game at Allegiant Stadium? What's your plan look like this week? Yeah, so so far, I'm trying to go out there as a fan. I'll be there at the stadium just hanging out with my friends. I was looking into potentially going to a practice session, which I had heard would be on Saturday, Mm. but it's close to the public from what I've heard Thursday Still haven't heard about any public access. I hope there's more activities for the fans because that's what the Pro Bowl is for, for the fans to be able to get close to the players, to get close to the coaches, to be able to get to know them a little bit better, not only as players but as people. And I hope that in the following days there's more information on that. But worst-case scenario, I'll just be hanging out with my friends that are coming in from out of town Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and then Sunday at the game. Thank you, Harry. All the best. Have a great week. Appreciate you doing this. Claro, Juan. Ten buena, buena semana. <laughs> Thank you, amigo. Harry Ruiz, the Spanish voice of the silver and black. And I- I'm pretty excited about the Pro Bowl in regards to kids. I've said this from day one. Day one. This is an event to take the kids in your neighborhood that can't afford to go to Raider games at Allegiant Stadium when Kansas City and San Francisco and Denver's in town. You can't but you can afford to take a couple of kids to the East-West Shrine game. You could take a couple of kids in the neighborhood. And that's something I've always enjoyed as a dad. What you do is you ask a neighbor that has kids, hey, do you want to join us? We're going to take a group of four or five of, of the kids in the neighborhood to see a game like this. That's how kids get into sports. That's how I got into sports. My dad took kids to games, and my neighbors took me to games as kids, and this is the type of game to go to. I think the Pro Bowl skills challenge is based for children and kids. Okay, I don't mind if you're 50 years old and you watch WWE, not my thing. If you like it, more power to you. But kids who are 12, 13, 14 who play flag football and are into diving and diving into you know areas to make a great catch, you want to see that, take them out to the game. I think the Raiders and obviously the Pro Bowl is going to do a pretty good job. And for all the football fans up there, we got a great promotion coming up. Hall of Fame legends Warren Moon, Shannon Sharp, and Charles Woodson. We're in town this week for the 20th Annual Pro Bowl Hall of Fame Players Party. And they're inviting you, the fans, to be a part of it. Warren Shannon and Charles are working together to give scholarships for local Las Vegas students to attend SLAM. That's schools, 
Sports Leadership Arts and Management. That's what SLAM stands for. Founded by Pitbull. And they're invited, and they're going to have a bunch of guys with them, other NFL legends and superstars. It's going to be a really good party. Everyone who buys a ticket will wine and dine and laugh and be with these VIP athletes. It's on the 66th floor of Resorts World. The casino tables in the lounge are going to be open if you want to go up there and gamble, too. Five-star menu at Alley Lounge on the 66th floor of Resorts World, and you'll be able to hang out with these Hall of Famers, get some personal photos and autographs. There's a silent auction, blackjack, gaming, open bar, and more. Tickets are very limited. So if you want to join me, I'll be there as the MC for a portion of this. Please hurry and go to eventbrite.com to get tickets. That's eventbrite.com to get tickets and hang out with some really cool people. These are cool guys that are trying to raise money locally for Slam. It's going to be a great event coming up. And I love Resorts World. They're a proud partner of our show. We got Mark Anderson coming up next and then a Chiefs reporter. As we continue on, we're coming off the aftermath of the AFC and the NFC Championship. Let me give you some low-hanging fruit if you need some there. Sometimes the fruit is better on the edge of the limb, but if you need some low-hanging fruit, who are you more happy to see eliminated? Kansas City in the Super Bowl or the 49ers in the NFC Championship game? I'm getting mixed reviews from Raider fans. I'm noticing today the Raider Nation seems to be more excited about the Niners losing. Larry in Vegas. Larry, thanks for calling. You're up next. Go ahead. Yeah, I wanted to talk about basketball. If, if, mm-hmm, if you please. Had yeah. So yesterday you pointed out how, uh, as far as GOAT, greatest of all time, how the mm-hmm. stats for LeBron were a lot better than Jordan's. And that's true. But Kareem's are much better than LeBron's. And I mean everything. This, uh, mm-hmm. not just points, not just rebounds, but blocks, six mm-hmm. more NBA championships more MVPs for the NBA. Uh, he was an all defen- on the all-defensive team, Kareem, 11 times. LeBron's mm-hmm. got five. Uh, I called the Lakers because he- he's averaging LeBron 28% on three-point shots. That's terrible. And his team's not even 500. I- what, do you I mean just- what do you mean you called the Lakers? Did you call their offices and El Segundo? Yeah. What do you mean you called the Lakers? Who would you want to talk to when you got to the switchboard? Someone over st- statistics for the team, okay. and they gave me someone and said he was shooting 28%. And I'm just saying, if you're the greatest of all time, how can you not even have a team that's 500? And Kareem is, is better than him in every statistic. He'll be passed for points. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but most of Kareem's uh, time with the Lakers – they didn't what have about assist? What about assist? What about assist and steals? That matters, right? You, you left that out. I don't have assists and, and I don't have steals, oh. well, but I've got rebounds stats. and I've got blocks and I've got free throw okay. percentage. Yeah, right, that, I, I'm just okay. I'm just cu- cu- curious what you think about that. Who do you, who do you feel hmm. is the best of all time? Well, uh, that's a great. Uh, I appreciate you asking me. Thanks for the call. I think when you look at the three greatest of all time, the three, it's Michael Jordan, LeBron James, and Kareem. And Kareem was powerful. He played on better teams. I mean, Kareem was a big part of that. When you're the best player of one of them at all times, you're the leader of the team. LeBron played on a lot of teams that weren't very good until he got to the Heat. Those Cleveland teams were not very good. Kareem came into the league with Milwaukee. Milwaukee had a really good team. They ended up winning a championship. And then he played with Magic Johnson for a number of championships. LeBron played with Booby Gibson and Kevin Love. And go down the list. LeBron didn't have a lot of good players other than Kyrie. 
And then LeBron went to the Heat, and they had Chris Bosh, who's a very good player, and Dwayne Wade. That wasn't as good as the five All-Stars that were on in San Antonio. And three of them Hall of Famers and Tony Parker, Manu Ginobili, and Tim Duncan. So did Kareem have an easier path? In the beginning, I think he did. And then the Magic years, he had to go through Bird. Uh, Jordan struggled early in his career just to get by Detroit and get by Boston and Larry Bird. But once he got there, he won six in a row. But I, 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 when I just threw back at you, you left out assists and steals. But you easily had, for a seven-footer like Kareem, you, you kept in rebounds and blocked shots. Got to add up all the stats, my friend. Just can't cherry-pick the ones for Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. There are a lot of fans that think Kareem's the greatest player of all time. I won't argue. It'll come down to the three, but LeBron's not going to start stop playing for at least three more seasons. He's going to play next year for sure. Then his son, Bronny, is going to come into the league. He's going to play with his son, Bronny, wherever he is, from Charlotte to Toronto. Wherever Bronny gets drafted, LeBron's going to have an opt-out in his deal to go play with his son. He might play with his son for one or two years. LeBron's nowhere near done. You see what he's doing this year and the type of shape he's in? He's absolutely incredible. I give LeBron a lot of credit. 702-365-9200. Nice to get an NBA call. We're going to be talking more and more about the NBA in the coming weeks after the Super Bowl. Oh, what a good time to have a Modelo. Had a few of them over the weekend. Bucking a Modelo on a Friday after the show. The fighting spirit of Modelo, our proud partner. And they're going to be doing a lot for the Pro Bowl and the Super Bowl. The cerveza that I drink here off the air is Modelo. Thanks for listening to Raider Nation Radio. The JT The Brick Show is brought to you by Remy Martin. Team up for excellence. You guys were probably the most pumped up I'd seen them going into a football game. A lot of trash talk coming from a lot of different places. I think no one picked us to win. If so, it was like 5% of people. Um, and uh, we think we've built up enough respect to have a chance to go out and win every game. So uh, whenever you feel like you're the underdog, when you're playing at Arrowhead Stadium, it gets guys ready to go. That's such garbage. You hear what Mahomes said? No one picked us to win. 5%. Is he out of his mind? They were the home team. They're the home team in the AFC Championship. And Mahomes wants you to believe that it's us against the world. Give me a break. It's the Kansas City Chiefs. The Kansas City Chiefs. And he's sitting there going, no one thought we could win the game. All the trash talking from Cincinnati clearly inspired them in their preparation to win the AFC Championship game. Mark Anderson joins us from the AP, the great journalist. And Mark, just big picture what you thought, because everybody's saying the sport's rigged. A lot of people are. I thought the officiating was terrible in the second game compared to the Niner-Philadelphia game. How'd you see Sunday? Yeah, I hate that. It drives me crazy when I see rigged all over Twitter. And and from sometimes for a couple of people you like would know better than to say that. I mean, come on. I mean, you know, if, if you think the, if the NFL or the NBA or whatever is really rigged, you, you know, that you're, they're, they're billion dollar, it's a billion dollar organization and they're not going to threaten that by trying to rig a game. It's just, you know, you can have bad officiating, but that doesn't mean it's rigged. And, you know, and there were bad calls against both teams. It wasn't like, there was an avalanche of bad calls against one team or the other. And that last call at the end was the right call. And and, to, and it wasn't even close. I mean, mm. Mahomes had two feet well out of bounds. He'd, he'd uh, slowed down, and, and Joseph Asai hit him and and extended his arm to do it. And I, I know he didn't mean to hit him late, but it, but he did. And And it was a call that gets made 100 out of 100 times. 
Yeah, Mark, I, I agree with you on that play. I just thought leading up to that final play on the punt return, there was a block in the back that was obvious. That would have stopped the play and moved it back to where it started. I think it would have made it almost impossible. Not almost impossible because we saw this team go the length of the field for 13 with 13 seconds to go to force overtime. And then I thought there were a couple of holding plays on Mahomes' run. There were two obvious holes that everybody's talking about that the refs didn't throw the flags on those plays, but they threw them at times against Cincinnati. And I want to know where you stand on home field in every sport because sometimes when you got home field or home court, you get those calls like we saw Boston get at the Celtics over LeBron James on that final play at the Boston Garden over the weekend. Yeah, Sports Illustrated did a comprehensive comprehensive study, I think about 10 years ago, where they looked at home field advantage or home court advantage, depending on the sport, and why why it is. And they determined that the only reason, I mean, the, the one factor that stood out above everything else was officiating, uh, that the home team tends to get more calls. And the, their, what the, the conclusion they drew from that is the crowd tends to, influence the officiating it's not that the officials go out there thinking we're going to call make all the calls of the home team it's just it but it's just natural human instinct that officials are influenced by the home teams or home crowds and so i, I think that's i think that's what it often comes down to and and uh you know i i i don't want to blame the Bengals lost yesterday on officiating because you're right i mean they, they did miss those calls but the game, I mean, if the game goes overtime, the Chiefs still might have won. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Chiefs also had a couple, you know, had a touchdown taken away earlier, which w- was the proper call. But, you know, they had a touchdown taken off the board earlier on a call, too. So, Mark Anderson joins us from the AP. So let's move to the 49ers and their loss. I think statistically that was one of the worst championship games of our lifetime. You had both quarterbacks combined for no touchdowns, believe it or not. Purdy, Purdy got injured. They didn't really have anybody to go after that. Jalen Hurts didn't throw a touchdown in the game. There were controversial calls. Then Philadelphia won big because the Niners couldn't execute their offense even when they brought Purdy back in. That was a buzzkill, as the kids like to say. I was looking forward to a ferociously physical game and a game right down to the wire, and Philly ends up winning easily. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm with JT. I, I was so looking forward to that game. And the moment Purdy went down, is like, I pretty much lost all interest because I saw no path to victory for the 49ers at that point. Mm-hmm. I, I, just, I just didn't see how they would do it. And and so I, I felt like, well, Philadelphia is just going to win this game. It's just a matter of how much at this point. And, and they, you know, it took them kind of a while to get started. It was, the game was much closer than I thought it would be for a long time after that. But, you know, at the end of the first half, you know, they got those two quick touchdowns and, that was game for sure, and I had the second half on. I kind of watched, but you know, I wasn't watching that intently, and it just, you know, just wasn't the same. And it was, it was really disappointing. That's why I was so glad the FC game came down to the end and mm-hmm. was was really dramatic. Do you see anything, Mark, that could change Brady going to Vegas and Miami, and maybe go to Santa Clara if the Niners are interested in that uh, gorgeous scenario for Brady as a young Niner fan looking up to Montana? to play with the team that probably the best roster in all of football, I don't think they can win with Brock Purdy. I won't call it a fluke what he did this year, but it's right outside the category of being fluky. And Trey Lance, I don't think, gives him a great option because he hasn't played yet in this league. Do you think there'll be interest with Aaron Rodgers in a trade or Tom Brady to go to the Niners? Yeah, because I think they're starting to see their windows starting to close on him. Mm-hmm, that's um, it. Yeah, I mean, they. You know, I don't think they're looking five years down the road right now. They're looking at next season. And I don't know that Brady's the answer necessarily, but if he gets on the phone and calls Kyle Shanahan, I think I think I think Shanahan's going to listen. You know, 
and and I'm with you on on Purdy. I'm just not sold yet. You know, it reminds me of the the great run Nick Foles had, and you know, and people people thought, well, look, look he, he he finally came through, and it's just this is just the start, and it wasn't just the start. That was that was his highlight, and I kind of think the same thing might happen with Brock Purdy too. I mean, I think he's going to be a good quarterback, but he was taken last in the NFL for the, for a reason, and and I I do I do think the Niners. And the Niners have been very aggressive. They got Christian McCaffrey at midseason. I, I wouldn't be a big sh- surprise if they brought in a veteran with Brady or if they do try to make a deal with uh, Aaron Rodgers because the Packers are so far over the cap. And I think the Packers, I think they might be ready to move on and see and see what they have and uh, uh, the, uh, you know beyond Rodgers. Last one for Mark Anderson from the AP. Excited about the Pro Bowl because. I thought the Raiders did a nice job at the stadium. It's an NFL event, but last year's game was a joke. It was it was worse than flag football. That's why they had to quickly move that to a flag football game. Max Crosby was the only guy playing hard. Do you think what's going in and around town here, leading up to the event and the skills challenge, will be a victory for Las Vegas securing this event year after year? Yeah, I think I, I, I think I can see this event being in Las Vegas for a really long time. I know. I don't see why not. I mean, you know, it's uh, it was in Hawaii mostly because from all those years, mostly because of the vacation for the players, and and I think it's going to be largely the same reason that it's going to be, be in Las Vegas for a long time. I just don't know that this going to a national flag football game now. It just strikes me as a sort of a last ditch move to try to save this game, and I think that, that you know I think under Roger Goodell is committed to keeping the Pro Bowl. I just don't know how much interest there really is in it. Um, but we'll see. I mean, maybe it'll be a much bigger hit than I'm anticipating. And, but I think as long as they want to do a Pro Bowl, I think Las Vegas will be the home for it. Thank you, my friend. I'll talk to you in a couple of weeks. Appreciate you, Mark. Sounds good, JT. Thank you, too. Mark Anderson, follow, follow all his contact. I'm Anderson65. He writes for the AP. He puts out a lot of great work that I read and I count on here in Las Vegas, one of the best journalists in town here. Look, the Pro Bowl will stay here if it makes money. That's it. And how would it not make money? How would it not make money? It's Vegas. Everything in Vegas makes money. Just quickly, before I get out to the phones again, I I believe that, and I was watching games with gamblers. I was at a casino by my home yesterday, and it was packed. You could not stand or walk. You could not stand and walk in the sports book that I was at yesterday. And I saw guys and gals betting and chasing because people had two-team teasers. If you got the first game wrong, your second game bet was already dead. I saw people and friends of mine chasing Cincinnati in the second half. Uh, Two of the guys I were with were betting pretty big, and they wanted to save their day because they were going to lose. They were going to lose significant money. Okay, I'm talking ten grand or more. And they were chasing Cincinnati when the money line bet changed in the second half to try to win back and break even on the day with Cincinnati. And look what happened down the stretch there with the officials. The officials rubbed the gamblers the wrong way, man. They went crazy right in front of me yesterday. I watched people really upset and angry in one sports book in town. I can't imagine what every other sports book looked like. Crazy day. Brian in Virginia. Brian, thanks for calling. What's going on, buddy? Hey, how you doing, JT? Really Just want to let you know I've been a Raider fan all my life. I'm originally from L.A., and mm-hmm. I, even my first Pop Warner team was uh, Silver and Black Watts Wildcats. Matter of fact, me and Greg Townsend, the great Raider, mm-hmm. played on the same uh, Pop Warner team. Wow, he's a great player. So I retired in the Virginia. I'm a retired Navy. And my frustration has been with my brothers, the Raiders, is that we just can't seem to get our drafts and we can't.
enhancing the, the, the pickup folks in free agency. I mean, I look at last night with Kansas City. They had basically three rookies in the backfield ending the game because they had nobody else left. Now, these guys aren't starters, obviously, but they did enough to make the roster. And it seems like every time that we bet or we draft or we get these guys that are tired and old and can't play anymore. So what's the goal here? The goal is to try and draft some folks that we can turn around quickly. Seattle was able to do it. Philly was able to do it. Why can't the Raiders be able to do it? Yeah, I'm looking at you, JT. Yeah, that's what I'm hoping for. Thanks for the call. That's what I'm hoping that Dave Ziegler can pull off. And I think Dave comes from a school of scouting and the type of evaluation that he does. That's all I say about Dave Ziegler. I don't know him well, and he's been good to me. He's been very valuable with his time, and he's been good. I hope to have him on the radio at the Super Bowl or maybe next week, and I trust Dave Ziegler in his scouting history, scouting, and what he's teaching his scouts on what they want. That's it. And if he gets it right, it'll change. You're absolutely right talking about this Kansas City defense and what they've been able to do. Drafting players. Kansas City and Seattle is the recent model of a team that drafts well and all of a sudden their team's a playoff team and vastly improved. You know, the, the other te- regime of Gruden and Mayock, they brought in Hunter Renthro and Max Crosby and some other players who are pretty good players on this team. But the problem was they missed on so many first-round picks. And when you look at the players that are no longer here and what happened last year with just Damon Arnett, Henry Ruggs, and the Henry Ruggs was just a tragedy. That's one of the more just horrible situations and scenarios in sports history. Henry Ruggs, Damon Arnett, and Clee Farrell before that. Clee Farrell taking four overall, and then Alex Leatherwood. You don't think that hurt these guys who took over the team? And what are you watching? Now, if you want to criticize Dave Ziegler for getting Chandler Jones and overpaying for him, please do. That's fair. I don't think with Dylan Parham in the third round you can criticize Dave. I thought that was a good pick. Guy ended up starting, uh, got an award as a rookie. So good things for him. But what those gentlemen now had to deal with is what the other regime missed on in the first round. And I was pro-Mayock and Gruden. You know that if you listen to the show. I wanted those guys to do great things, too. I root for everybody to draft the right God. We all understand that. When they go to the, with the seventh pick in the first round or with the 16th pick in the second round, I sit here and usually anchor the broadcast, and I want the Raiders to hit a home run. They haven't in a long time. So now they have to do it early in the draft, and they have the political capital to go do it. They have the draft equity to do it, and they got the money to go do it. I just don't know where they're going to go. Someone really important came up to me and said, we don't even know who the Raiders are going to have a quarterback next year. We're watching Jalen Hurts and Patrick Mahomes for two weeks leading up to the Super Bowl. How would you like to have that instead of what the Raiders are dealing with now? So the Raiders have to come through this process and get a quarterback that can win games. Tom Brady has beaten all these guys. He's beaten their butts off. So at least if you get Tom Brady, you know that Brady's going to put you in positions to win more times than not because he's healthy. He made the playoffs again this year, and he's the greatest of all time. Everybody else is going to be upside and downside. Too much to get Aaron Rodgers. Too expensive. Too expensive to go out and trade for Lamar Jackson. Jimmy G, good, but he could get hurt. Seventh-round pick, he's a rookie. He's not going to be able to play for two years. All of this is complicated, and that's why the gentleman in charge are here to figure it out. 702-365-9200 if you want to get in before the top of the show ends. Q's coming up next. He's got a lot planned. 
Q's doing a hell of a job. Unbelievable job getting us out to the Super Bowl in Phoenix, Scottsdale. That takes a lot of work. He knocked it out of the park next year. Can't wait to see what he has in store for us. And a Kansas City reporter, my conversation with what happened last night immediately following the game at Arrowhead. Stick around for that next. Welcome back to the JT The Brick Show, brought to you by Botanist Gin, the number one fastest growing brand. Step up your cocktail game with the Botanist Gin. Every loss you learn from, just like every win. And then we'll go watch the film and make our corrections and get better, head into the offseason with extended offseason as opposed to last year. And so I feel really good about the direction that we're headed. You know, we've been in this game two straight years, won one, lost one. So obviously this one hurts, but you know, we'll come back stronger. It's Joe Burrow. He's a hell of a player. He's going to get paid the largest contract ever for a quarterback. Question is, can Cincinnati afford to pay everybody else? JT, back with you, brought to you by Grimaldi's. Uh, Last night, immediately following the game, Adam Teicher from ESPN Nation, the reporter for the Kansas City Chiefs, joined me, and I asked him his big perspective on the game. Yeah, it was uh, a crazy game with some unusual calls. And, um, you know, there certainly could have been a holding call called on that last scramble by Mahomes, the, the one that, uh, that combined with the penalty um, set up the field goal there at the end. So, it, it uh, you know, there were some strange calls and some strange plays and some weird twists. And uh, um Chiefs did a, you know, finally got it done against the Bengals. I mean, it, you know, they'd been 0 3 against them. So um, it, it was kind of uh, unusual seeing the Chiefs being the ones to make the plays against these guys, but uh, finally got it done. I thought Kansas City's defensive rush was outstanding in this game. There were a couple plays where Burrow just tried to roll out and just got buried and sacked. And then there were at least three times, I recall where he just spiked the ball into the ground, and one was costly near the end of that game when it came to grounding, but two other times he just threw it in the dirt because nothing was open. I'm not used to seeing Burrow do that that many times in a ball game. Yeah, he looked a little um, out of sorts. Uh, didn't look like he, he normally does, and you have to credit the Chiefs for that. They, uh, you know, they had not done a very good job of getting him on the ground or, or even getting pressure on him um, you know, in, in the recent games between the teams. Uh, you know, they only had one sack of him in the AFC Championship game last year and only one sack of him when the teams played a few weeks ago. So they hadn't done that, and they, they hadn't turned the Bengals over um, much. They only had one takeaway in the three games that they played, counting a, also counting a regular season game last year. And, uh, you know, they came up with the two interceptions. So, um, you know, uh, you know the Chiefs – and then they made the Bengals go one for three, scoring touchdowns in the red zone. So the Chiefs, you know, they made them kick a couple field goals there. And the Chiefs had not been very good at any of that stuff uh, against the Bengals. Um, and, and so, uh, you know, those were the three of their goals. Make them kick field goals, uh, sack him put pressure on him and also uh, turn him over and they got it all done. And uh, yeah, the defense was a start. You know, I, I uh, going into the game, I thought that Mahomes would be fine and the chiefs would be fine on offense, but they were going to have to get some things done on defense. And they did. They, they actually, they absolutely did that. 
Uh, Adam Teicher is our guest. I got to ask you about the trash talking from the mayor here because you, you reported Chris Jones said that the Chiefs didn't want to ta- uh, talk back to the Bengals about Burrowhead thing, but said, quote, don't ever, ever, ever disrespect Arrowhead. And I saw post game Andy Reid mentioned it, Mahomes mentioned it, and Kelsey went crazy with a live microphone <laughs> on the field to the whole yeah. entire building there. So it obviously meant something, the trash talk to Kansas City. They played inspired. Oh, and there, there's no doubt about it. And I don't know how much it mattered once the game was going on, but uh, I think it, it kind of helped the Chiefs focus. Um, not that they probably needed any, but you know, I think it helped them focus during the week. And you know, they were tired about hearing this Burrowhead stuff. That was really the one that uh, that stuck with them. So, yeah, there, there's no doubt that um, there were at least some of the players were uh, were were kind of pissed off about it. Tell us how good Frank Clark is. When you see this defense and what this defense is able to do and the multiple playmakers, Clark and Jones, where is their legacy going back? You're talking about all these championship games, big performances, AFC West titles, and then AFC playoff wins on the way to the Super Bowl. These defenders are building a hell of a resume. Yeah, they are. And, uh, you know, I don't um, have a, uh, an answer for you as to what their legacy is will be i mean uh, i think a lot of that will determine what they can get done um uh you know in two weeks against the eagles you know but uh you know they they certainly are um you know frank clark has been a guy who's kind of been a disappointment for the chiefs during the regular season since they traded for him but he's been great in the playoffs and he is one of the all-time leaders now in the nfl in all-time sacks because he has just turned it on in the in the playoffs, and he certainly had a big game. Chris Jones was was outstanding from start he to was. finish, and you know he finally got his first playoff sack uh, for all the games he played in the postseason. Never had a sack. Doesn't mean he hadn't played well. He had a great Super Bowl against the Forty ers a few years ago. Just didn't get a sack. But um, um, you know those two guys are playing well, and they're going to need him again um, in two weeks against Philadelphia for sure. Uh, Adam Teicher, as we wrap it up, covers the Chiefs at a high, high level for ESPN, uh, ESPN NFL Nation reporter. Uh, Kelsey, I see it out here in the AFC West. When when Kelsey's one-on-one in the end zone in a championship game, how ridiculous is that matchup when he has a small member of the secondary, a corner or a safety on him, or he doesn't have safety help and a double team there? That was a big touchdown that got the Chiefs going. Yeah, it sure was. They they really needed it. I mean, remember that was a fourth down play, and yeah. uh, you know if they uh, Bengals get a stop there, that's a turning point in the game. So uh, no doubt, and um, you know without having a chance to ask the Bengals what they were thinking there, um, I don't know. But you're, you're right. I mean, that was whatever they did, that was the wrong call for sure. Adam, last one. Just give me your thoughts on the Super Bowl matchup. I know you tweeted out of all these championship games, this one was the most nuts. After this calms down. About a week from now, when we're a week out from the Super Bowl, Philadelphia is already a slight favorite here. What do you sense that game's going to be like? A shootout, more physical, rough and tough in the trenches? What do you expect to see? Yeah, hard to know right now just because uh, so much uncertainty with the Chiefs. They're, you know, they lost three wide receivers in the middle of this game. They, Juju Smith-Schuster, McCola Hardman, and Kadarius Toney all left with injuries, didn't come back. So I don't know what the status is going to be there. Yeah, uh, so... You know, the Chiefs were ended up playing with a practice squad guy uh, that they called up. He was one of the receivers at the end of the, you know most of the second half. 
But anyway, um, so it's hard to know exactly what kind of health they're going to be in and what kind of shape they're going to be in. But, uh, I mean, I, I can't imagine, uh, you know, the Chiefs winning this game without scoring some points. Um, you know, I think they're going to have to. And so I do sort of see a, a, a game maybe like this one or maybe a little higher scoring where both teams are going to uh, get their shots in and uh, uh, maybe come down to a, a final possession. Thanks, Adam. I really appreciate your time. Hey, anytime. All right, Adam Teicher coming in last night from Kansas City and the great work that he did after the game. Again, last night was crazy because no one wanted to talk about the game. Everybody wanted to talk about the officials. I felt that this morning when I was on another platform and today with these two hours. I think Raider fans have checked out on bad officiating. Nothing against you, Raider Nation. Go after it. Do whatever you want to do. But I think Raider fans are looking at Kansas City and those bad calls, and I think Raider fans are more interested on the 49ers losing. That's my takeaway of the last two hours because Raider fans have been robbed by referees more than any fan base I can know of and remember. I think Raider fans are just sick of referee talk, and we explored that today. Kansas City for the next two weeks and what will it take to stop them. What will it take to stop Kansas City from winning a their second Super Bowl in the Mahomes era? We end the show by paying tribute to one of the greatest hockey players of all time, Bobby Hull. Passed away at the age of 84. He began his career with the Blackhawks in 1957. He played 15 seasons with the team, one season with Winnipeg, another for the Hartford Whalers, accounting for one of the greatest careers of all time with his points. Well, how about this? He rang, when it comes to Chicago, first in goals, third in points, fifth in assists, and then all time. He finished his NHL career with 610 goals, 560 assists, and 1,170 points in 1,063 games with the Blackhawks, Winnipeg, and the Whalers. Great career, great memory. Everybody who knows hockey should know Bobby Hull and say a nice rest in peace to him today. Thanks to our guest, especially Harry Ruiz and Mark Anderson, who joined us. That, that's a wrap for seven hours of radio since 9 p.m. last night. Uh, I'm checked out. <laughs> we'll talk to you back here tomorrow. We'll have an unbelievable show lined up tomorrow. We're on the future of the Raiders at quarterback. What do the Raiders do at quarterback? And some of the inside stories in preparation for the Pro Bowl here in Las Vegas. Thanks, Bobby, for putting together the show. Cues on deck. We'll see you back here tomorrow on the flagship of the Silver and Black. JT on Raider Nation Radio.